Hello and welcome once again to the Tiny Plastic People podcast, the podcast about tiny plastic people. We paint them, we play with them, and we are here to tell you why we think that's great yet again. Uh, my name's Rich and tonight I am joined by Tom F. Hello. Tom G. Hello. Multiple Toms and JD. Hey up. Hey up. <laughs> <laughs> How is everyone? Everyone well? Melting in this heat, I think. Yes. 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 Yeah. Apologies in advance for any fan noise <laughs> that anyone hears on this recording. Because I think everyone on everyone has heard me at some point on Discord going on about how my room is an unbearable sweatbox, and I can't wait to move out of it. <laughs> yeah. So what a week for that to be the case. I've seen some mention of um, people being concerned for their resin models um, due to the heat. And making sure yeah. they are in a, perf- a suitably cool location. Yeah, <laughs> I had um, a fine cast uh, Necron Catan that went a bit wobbly um, oh, no. after that was two thousand. That was the two thousand and eighteen heat wave, I think. Um, yeah, and it it's gone a bit droopy. Because <laughs> of course, we all know that wherever there's Warhammer models, it's fairly cool anyway. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was very concerned for my uh, mongul in the mm. back of my car. This oh, weekend, God, yeah, don't leave it in the car. All suspended on one narrow hand. Mm. Um, luckily, it was fine. No droopy ghosts here. Do, do we think that rescuing models counts as a thing that people are allowed to break into a car for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm calling the police because there's like... A lightning fighter sat on the dashboard and the wings have gone floppy. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's, it's a possibility that I hadn't considered, but I've just realised that for the last couple of weeks, Corax has been sat in one of the hottest parts of the room and I haven't actually checked. So now I've got that fear. <laughs> well, yeah, if you don't check, you don't know, right? So just, just wait. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's, like, it's exactly like my bank balance. I mean, Corax, Corax is the knight anyway, so what you'll find is actually a really nice shaded part of your room, which somehow yeah. should not be shaded. But You don't know how he turns out until you look at him. It's a shame he's not cursed, because then he could be Schrodinger's bat. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, lovely stuff. stuff. Starting strong. Starting strong indeed. <laughs> okay, um... Putting some distance between ourselves <laughs> and that as quickly as possible. Uh, as normal, let's talk about some hobby that we've been doing. And today we're going to start with Tom F. What hobby have you been doing, Tom? So since the since the last time I was on the podcast, I have painted a lot of Imperial Fists, um, about, about 40 or so. Um, I, I have nearly finished the... Uh, Betrayal at Calf box I bought a little while back, but still got to do the Terminators from that. And um, uh, a couple of models from the uh, the Middle Earth range, some uh, Warriors of Minas Tirith, which were really fun. I'm looking forward to getting back to more of those. And, really cool sculpts, those. Yeah. I love them. I think they hold up pretty well for being the best part of 20 years old as yeah. well. Don't, yeah, don't the, say uh, that. 
yeah the middle earth stuff is 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 very solid i think it works quite well at the slightly smaller scale because you get the um there's a little bit less detail you don't need to go into the helmets to paint the eyes that kind of thing um and it's easier to do kind of broad strokes in a way that i fit uh, in a way that i think fits the uh, fits the setting quite well yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, I feel they also work better now. That there's more of a distinction between their scale and the normal Warhammer scale, because yes. when they first came out, it was like, well, this, why is this elf slightly smaller than my other elves? Whereas now, the, all of the things in main Warhammer are much larger and chonkier. Um, yeah. Whereas Lord of the Rings maintains that more realistic scale, which. It's its own thing, and it's it's good. Yes. I do remember painting Eladan and Elra here recently, which I got on the, the made-to-order, and painting their faces was like an exercise <laughs> in guesswork in terms of beyond nose where anything was and where <laughs> highlights were supposed to be. Was a, you, you get the nose, you got the pointy ears, that's, that's an elf. Yeah, you've just given me real concern because I don't remember picking out the ears <laughs> and now I'm worried that I didn't and you can see them so that's my neurosis just, for just the day, thanks Tom particularly pointy locks of hair yeah um, anyway, I interrupted you, sorry, carry yeah. on uh, that, was, that was most of it in the past few months, but most recently I have painted some blood knights and a vampire ready for uh, ready for the event that I'm sure we will talk about later and fabulous they looked on the table as well. Very thrilled Thank to you. see those. JD, what hobby have you been up to? Have you been up to any hobby? Not much recently, because uh, I am, as hinted at earlier, I'm preparing to move house this week. Hence why on the camera you can see a big box behind me. Um, <laughs> so my hobby stuff has been packed away and ready to go for about two or three weeks now. But the last thing I did was the kitbash night quester that i did to go with my new stormcast project which is this sort of bronze and red cloaks and all that kind of stuff the uh, barter inspired stormcast but beyond that yeah i've not done a huge amount i started made a start on a uh, dexess of the talon of stanesh and then it got too hot so i stopped because it was just unbearably uncomfortable to sit and paint yeah it's um it got hot and I stopped is, I think, a lot of people's hobby story for the last few weeks. I don't know. I'd I'd, I'd phrase it differently with regards to Slanesh models specifically. <laughs> <laughs> They're just too hot to paint. Um, I got a... Uh, yeah, unfortunately as well, while I was moving the model around, I bro broke the scepter. Oh, no, uh, no, so no. I need to... Uh, you know when you just think, oh, I need to repair that, but that's that's a job for another day. And then another day yeah. just isn't going to come for a long time, mm. especially yeah. with Stormcast and Cruel Boys now on my painting table when I've moved. That yeah, it's, it's going to fall by the wayside a little bit, I think. How about um, like non-building and painting hobby adjacent? This is something maybe we don't talk about very much. Uh, so my, most of that has been I've been writing little bits of lore again for my Stormcast. Like the thing I like to do is just sit and write down. Have, a, have like a law document of like where everything fits into the world and all that, but then also just do a, a few like short story vignette type things as well. So I've been working on some of those for that. I've been doing, I've, did, I've started working on one for Necromunda a few days ago. 
just little things like that. And I've, I think most of my hobby engagement recently has been uh, helping a mate of mine get into the hobby. Uh, she's wanted to do that for a while. And I'm finally being the angel, the, sorry, the devil <laughs> on, her, on her shoulder, <laughs> and, uh, giving her the push over the edge. Uh, so now she's started a Skaven project. Nice. Uh, so, I'm, Ooh, so yeah, we're gonna nice. we're gonna do a little very a slow grow path to glory uh, campaign. Start at six hundred points, and awesome. see where we go from there. It's really really fun helping people get into the hobby for the first time. I find absolutely love it. It's great, <laughs> great way to live vicariously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tom G, how about you? What have you been up to? Well, most of my direct hobbying over the last well couple of months now has been painting terrain. Um, I have a lot of terrain lying around my house and I finally decided to um, do something about that and get it all spray painted and dry brushed. I had a little adventure where I started spraying it with lead belcher, ran out of lead belcher, Games Workshop was closed so I went to B&Q to see whether any of their sprays would work. They did not. Um, So um, I I got a very shiny bit of scenery out of it. Um, Shinier than I'd have liked. Um, which was disappointing. Um, but I now have a whole box load of Admech scenery um, all ready to go. And that's it's really satisfying being able to have not only the painted armies, but also the um, the painted scenery to go with that. And, um, well, my, you'll hear in my later segment on this show the, the motivation for getting this scenery painted. Um, I won't quite spoil it just yet, um, but... It, had a powerful motivator for getting it all done um i've also been doing a bit of test schemes so i've got a test cruel boy and a test um few stormcast for um my dominion box um in comparison to um jd's stormcast um i'm going for the roman inspired um so bronze with purple cloaks and i mean some of the new models in the dominion set just have such a good ancient rome ancient greek aesthetic going i love them so much and um, i'm really looking forward to when i go on holiday in a few weeks and get to take my box of dominion with me and hopefully spend the week painting that awesome and also just quickly on the hobby adjacent because i remembered it while we were speaking um i have been knocking holes well i say knocking holes put knocking pin nails in my wall to hang up a whole load of warhammer artwork on my walls um, which is a bit of an unusual bit of hobby. I'll be there, but I'm I'm looking right now. I can see a poster, a poster image um, advertising um, sunny Armageddon, um, a <laughs> lovely place to go on holiday. Nice. And I also have um, for people who are familiar with the maps from the um, from the Siege of Terror series that have come out. I got those professionally framed, so I have those now on my staircase. So every time I go upstairs, I have a map of um, the Siege of Terror to look at, which is pretty cool. Those maps are awesome. Like on the scale of Warhammer Tat, they are <laughs> high up the list of things that I am tempted to buy every time I see them. Yeah, but they are well well worth it. And if you can get them, if you work, I think there's a bit of a question of what you want to do with them. Um, they're only worth getting if you have a good plan for either displaying them or thinking, occasionally I just want to get these out or roll them up and hit people with them if you if they don't like how they're playing against you yeah it's sort of but it's just such a shame to have them sitting in a box i think for yeah forever but 
Um, I've got some friends who um, thought that's a brilliant um, prop for live action role play. Mm. <laughs> so, um, gives you an excuse to use the like fancy case it comes in as well. Then. Yeah, right. yeah. Wow, that's a great idea. And what about you? What have you been working on? I'm just scrolling through my photo album, <laughs> trying to remember. <laughs> to be honest, um, I think last episode. I talked about uh, finishing off some Lumineth and some Iron Warriors, and maybe I just started painting a Tome Keeper. So we'll go from there. Um, I've had pretty, by my standards at least, hobby light month. Um, but I did paint two, having enjoyed doing that left hand, I painted two squads for what apparently now is a Tome Keeper's Force. Um, so I did a squad of the Flamestorm Aggressors and a squad of Eradicators with the Melter Guns. Yeah, kind of refining some techniques, doing some different things, playing with some all-over oil washing and um, lifting paint off with Spirit and stuff and varnishing to get surface finishes rather than just relying on using certain kind of paints as well. So that was really fun enjoyed doing those. I have a couple more things sat next to me to work on for them at some point. Probably when it's not 30 degrees. (laughs) I painted my first unit from Dominion. painted the unit of Annihilators in the colours of the Knight's Excelsior. Please be right. The like white armour with the blue highlights. Um, I followed a, a tutorial from cult of paint for that uh, who I really like tend to do nice kind of army painting tutorials to get a nice striking effect without spending like 20 hours per mini and I was really really happy with how they came out so I will probably try and at least do the rest of the Dominion box in that scheme and undoubtedly then buy something else to add to them because you know you can't just do a few right got to do an army um, and the main other thing I finished was a Sylvaneth Arch Revenant, I think it's called. Druanti the Arch Revenant, the box is called. The like character with the big wings. A kind of beetle jetpack. Yeah, beetle jetpack is it. I was <laughs> blown away to turn the model around and realise that their wings are just a whole insect glued to their back. That was a really fun model. I did that to exchange with a friend as like a, a gift, blind gift swap. So it was really fun trying to like sneak pictures of his stuff and then replicate his scheme and make it match. I spent about 15 quid on basing materials so that it would match, I think. But I um, never want to complain about more tufts in the tough box. So yeah, that was fun. Um, and then again, not to spoil a... And, upcoming segment i converted and painted a slightly different knight of shrouds for my nighthorn army to take to the same event that tom went to uh, but we will talk about that in more detail we promise will will we be talking about that event in more detail now because i think that might be the next thing on the list yeah um is it is is that is that what's known in the trade as a segue i think it might be only if we do it smoothly. It way, if James leaves that in, it's a segue. <laughs> if not, it's just me talking <laughs> shit and you trying to say... No, it's me. just a fuck up. It, it might even <laughs> just be a seamless transition. Who knows? Yeah. 
He's replacing all of this with a jaunty little bit of music. (laughs) Yeah, just a little little dance. So as we always do, um, we've all brought some things to talk about, shape our discussions, stay on track maybe, especially because it's warm and I think we probably all like to open windows or go outside or just lie down in a bath. (laughs) So first of all, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to do a mini event report. Not formally structured necessarily but uh, as we've alluded to tom f and i this weekend attended the aptly named whitney warhammer in the village of whitney in oxfordshire tom do you want to give a little summary certainly so whitney warhammer was a a narrative event for about uh, about 20 people i believe which was based around a region in the realm of fire and several locations there, each of which was a specially designed and set up table with its own special rules. We were fighting not just to control the region, but also to gain information on a uh, an artifact that had gone missing from the region. And uh, we we found this information in two forms. We found it both in the form of riddles that we were given. We could uh, solve that riddles for clues on this artifact and what it did. And uh, we also earned knowledge points, which were abstract ideas of how much information our side. So there were sorry, there were two sides. There was order and death versus chaos and destruction, with a few exceptions. With a with a with a bit of exceptions, they were they were nice and uh, relaxed about it. Yeah. So we were gaining knowledge points, which were like an abstract idea of how much information our sides had in character, and those represented uh, those were used to uh, give us a guess at who uh, at what this artifact was. Um, we scored those during the game. So, for example, on one of the tables. Uh, there was a uh, a pile of scrap metal that you could dig through looking for relevant bits of information and relevant artifacts. So every every turn you spent in control of that, you gained a knowledge point, and it was uh, it was it was tremendous fun. It was for me personally, it was my first games in person since uh, Brotherhood in January two thousand and twenty. And uh, it was it was a great time. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I've never done narrative event before. I don't know if you have, Tom, uh, but I'm I feel hooked already now. <laughs> we did relatively similar things for some of our role models meetups, as in playing a game. This is the specific stakes. This is the narrative that will be happening. Um, as I recall, at the first meetup, we. Uh, successfully destroyed a whole bunch of Gairan. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that might predate my uh, getting to know you all. So um, I didn't realise some of that had happened. Yeah. I Drew ran a, like, a narrative 40k event for us a, a few years ago as well. Yes, so. that one that one predated me as well. Yeah, so I, I took my, uh, my Soulblight Gravelords so I this was an army that I got into in uh, 2018, back when Age of Sigmar 2 first came out, and it was my first Age of Sigmar army then. Uh, back then, it was Legion of Blood, 
And just in time for this event, I painted up some uh, some Blood Knights, uh, the fantastic new models, and a classic Vampire Lord that uh, Rich very kindly sold to me for uh, a more than reasonable price. So yeah, so I, I always had like a narrative in mind for this army, uh, a particular pair of um, vampire siblings called Edward and Lydia. Uh, they were joined by this new vampire uh, who I decided to name Verna. I don't know why. It's a good name. It's a good name. Uh, so they were the army that I took to that previous narrative event. I believe Lydia was instrumental in helping to destroy uh, this section of Garan, and that um, Edward did absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. So I had I had a pretty clear narrative in mind. It was fun to play to play the game and make decisions both in individual games and in a meta-narrative sense based on what would this person do. Like if if Lydia was my character, so Lydia was the general, um, if she was the character I was playing in a role-playing game, what would her decision be at this time? Would she be playing along? Would she be... Uh, you could You could give over knowledge points to your team captain, or you could keep them for yourself and try to take a guess yourself later on. Uh, so it was fun to to make those decisions based on uh, based on playing a role. Nice. I could talk about this event for hours, but conscious that we don't have hours, um, and to keep uh, keep you involved in the chat as well, Tom and JD, have you got any like questions about the event or like particular things you'd like to know more about? I, don't, I think you guys have both been to competitive events before, right? Yes. So how would you say it compares to doing a narrative event to doing a, a match to play competitive event? Is it you know a different vibe? Is it uh, yeah. less intense? Way less brain intense, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, still, still six games of Warhammer in two days. Yeah. But they weren't six 2,000 point games. They were varying scopes you weren't playing scenarios from general's handbooks or uh yes. like chapter approved there were interesting scenarios so we had one that was like trying to rescue a a spy from a grating and yeah. the defender could only move models that they designated as like sentries until something set them off which was cool bit of like house ruling that was a very fun idea but um did not turn out fantastic for me because I was playing against uh, a guy called Ben Johnson, who is the product manager for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, I think he's like the senior product designer now. He is he is the person to point the finger out. Played against the guy in charge of the game and unsurprisingly <laughs> lost. Um, he He's apparently famous for playing armies consisting of a small number of very large models. And this time he was taking Mega Gargants. So I was trying to sneak into a prison guarded by a single massive giant, uh, which which did not go tremendously well. No, well, especially with the new monster rules for AOS three as well. I, I imagine that that's um, that army, an army of you know a couple of big monsters, is a much more yeah. terrifying prospect yeah. than it used yeah. to be. Monsters are definitely ascendant. I've got a fantastic picture of Bertha the necromancer 
just staring down as a a massive mega gargant looms over her. It's an excellent picture. She's posed to be reading a book and really does look like she's flicking through the book frantically for <laughs> clues to help her with how to kill a gargant. Chapter 10 on mega gargants. <laughs> Turns out that chapter's been eaten, unfortunately. <laughs> frantically flipping through the index, gargant see mega gargant, flipping through to the mega gargant page as it adv- advances. <laughs> Magmadroff, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what other things begin with M? I can't remember. <laughs> Mongol? Yeah. Um, Manticore? Yep. Yeah. Oh, God, there's loads. This is good podcasting. Yeah. Let's yeah, list some. Wonderful. <laughs> Let's just name some nonsense. Yeah. It's Sesame Street. <laughs> My game for that scenario was actually probably one of one of my favourite games of the weekend i couldn't i probably couldn't pick one because they were all fantastic but i played jimbo who is reasonably well known in the age of sigmar community of the mitzi and jimbo show or the eat bats club so he had a custom cities of sigmar list representing the city of grantabriga in the realm of life which he'd created and uh, so the list he had for that game was like a general on griffin some handgunners some dark riders and some Blade Guard or Eternal Guard? Eternal Guard, I think. But all painted to match. They look really, really fantastic. And I basically don't think I stopped laughing for that entire game because it felt like we both really approaching it from a this is very silly and we're here to have fun kind of place. So, <laughs> like, he advanced forward a bit on the, like, pre-game turns trying to see if the sentries get set off. And after about 10 minutes of that, he just went, this isn't really how we do things in Grantabrigger. <laughs> I'm going to fire the handgunners and alert you immediately. <laughs> so the handgunners fired. Um, one Glaivroth stalker from my Nighthawk army, who was a, a sentry, heroically charged the general on Griffin and then soaked all of their attacks for a round <laughs> and kept them tied in combat. <laughs> Uh, I think they eventually died to the butt of a handgunner rifle. So, um, yeah, the, I can understand why um, <laughs> why that game would have been very different were I playing Omega Gargans. <laughs> but it was very, very fun. Um, I'd say the other main difference, JD, from, from like a competitive event was that um, from an awards point of view, there were like some token awards for the faction that won. And then um, there were no awards for like first, second, third um, in terms of like game score. It was just uh, like the soft skills, let's say. So like, I think they called it favorite co-player awards, like the favorite game kind of award. And then third, second and first for favorite army. And the standard of hobby there was just absolutely outrageously good. Rich, of course, being being modest by not mentioning that he was the one who won the favorite uh, favorite co player award. I was trying to be modest. Yes. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's that's why somebody else has to swoop in and give you the credit. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I was overjoyed to receive that. Um, I like I said to all the people I played with, and pretty much everyone there. I genuinely think anyone at that event was probably deserving of that award. Everyone really seemed to be entering into it in the same spirit and having fun and being friendly. So yeah, it's a 
a real boon to win the vote for that. From so. the photos you posted in our Discord, um, yeah, the standard of hobby is incredible. Some of the armies that mm. uh, were there look really good. Uh, it sounds more like the sort of thing I'd be into that because I've been wanting to go to you know an event at some point. Um, but yeah, the idea of going to a competitive event isn't really my bag because it's just I don't want to go there and get Alfred turn one by a shooting army or whatever because that just really. <laughs> Uh, the, the guy doing it might have a lot of fun, but I, I, that's just quite boring. You know, I don't just don't want to be yeah. there and have that happen. Yeah. But yeah, a narrative event, I reckon I could uh, have a good time yeah. at. Yeah, because that, that's entirely where I'm at with these. I am not a competitive player. I respect people who do play competitively. It's a very intense game to play, but it's not for me. Um, and this this sort of event really sounds like the sort of thing, yeah, I think, think yeah, I could go for that. Um but that sort of brings me on to a sort of question, question I had for, for you guys, because um, you sort of say there's, there's 20 people there and they're all really, well, some of them are quite well known in the community and they've all got a lot of hobby. In. And frankly, I would feel intimidated going there and even, I suppose, daring to sign up. Um, it's sort of, do you have any words of advice for people like me who are like, I think this sounds really cool, but I'm not one of the cool kids who gets to go to these fun <laughs> narrative events. So I should let that leave that to the to the for want of a better word, the pros. You're pro gamers now. You've got podcasts and everything. Pro narrative gamers. Yeah. <laughs> My advice is don't look that kind of thing up before you sign up for it. And then when you get matched against somebody whose name you know because everybody's constantly talking about him, don't look up who he is until afterwards because that's how I found out that Ben Johnson was in charge of Asia Sigma. Um, <laughs> he was he was a nice guy, but I was thinking, is he one of the podcast people? Is he on one of these podcasts that people keep talking about? <laughs> so you, you only realised afterwards? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Similarly with the... Um, I remember back in uh, back at Brotherhood, so the team tournament that me and Rich and some other role models folks went to uh, last year. We played against a team that so so a lot of the other people on our team uh, knew knew everybody there and like knew people by reputation, and so I was told that it was a very big deal that we were fighting this next team, and I you know, okay I just accepted it, got on with the game, I did my best and got completely trampled and my opponent who was very nice he um i'm not going to remember his name i'm very sorry he asked me afterwards how many tournaments i'd been to and i said honestly that that was like my first age of sigma tournament and he nodded and he explained that uh his team were the current uk champions and that i was doing very creditably for somebody on my first tournament play the champion hmm yeah, I can. I remember that game, but I can't remember who it was that you played either. Actually, it was the Hallow Heart list? Yeah. Well, yeah. if that person is listening, sorry, <laughs> no offence. <laughs> it was two years ago at this point, so almost. But I think it speaks to one of the things which can be, um, I think, surprising for people whose only exposure to the hobby is certain parts of online but actually when you go to events the impression i get is everyone's always really welcoming and you get that as well in some places online so i i mean so answering my own question from earlier a bit i would not count myself a particularly great painter i think i can do okay but 
I post my miniatures on Instagram. I um, share them, and I get a lot of good feedback. And people say, "Yes, I like this. That's yes. really cool." And I get the feeling that in a lot of parts of the hobby community in person, it's the same thing. Um, and so part yeah. of me does want to bring along my, say, my Nighthorn Tommy, which I painted in the space of um, twenty-four hours over over January. Um, <laughs> through speed painting and averaging 20 minutes a model which look good and be able to say yeah that's what I've done um, they don't look great but they look good on a table and they look cohesive as an army right mm. so so my advice for stuff like this like from an outsider inverted commas big inverted commas outsider perspective is that just like it's it's trite but just do it I found it really useful. I was a bit apprehensive, but it was really useful to know that Tom had got a ticket as well, because I knew absolute worst case there was someone I knew there. But yeah, everyone was super friendly. The organizers were really friendly and it was a small enough event that they could give you sort of like quite personal attention in terms of chatting to you and checking you're okay, that you know what you're doing, coming around the tables and seeing how your game's going and like encouraging you to get into the narrative. There was there was some cosplay at the start of the first day, which uh, all got all got taken off after about half an hour in the heat. It was not the weather for tights, yeah. But <laughs> um, it was that was very entertaining. There was like a yeah, like a player captain for each team, and uh, yeah, they they also did a lot to to make sure everyone was feeling involved and yeah. having a good time. So uh, yeah, shout out shout out to the organizers charles and phil and ollie and steve who were the the captains for just sort of crafting such an incredible event yeah go to one definitely try and go to whitney next year if you can um you will have to fight me for a ticket yeah and me (laughs) so how do they allocate the tickets is it single combat or grand melee (laughs) <laughs> well it's it's uh it's narrative fighting so you have to so it's a larp excellent yeah. i'm a larper so <laughs> gotta, get the ticket, gotta get the tickets for that first to win your tickets to whitney warhammer yeah yeah i can't i can't say much more than that other than it was fantastic everyone involved in the organization did yes. so much and like yeah. theme is everything so like i took my nighthorn army tom that Okay, I didn't paint it in twenty four hours, but it's um like it's a wash and dry brush scheme for the most part. It's it's a nighthorn army, it's not very good. But it looks thematic and I because I knew I was gonna be on the, the resistance side with primarily destruction players. To get into the theming a bit more, I built myself a new Knight of Shrouds with some conversion parts to make him into like the ghost of an orc, uh, with a big ghostly claw and some like a spear and uh, i only played him as a regular knight of shrouds but it made certainly my immersion in the why am i on this team a little bit more easy to come by but i think yeah the standard of hobby was great there but it was it's army hobby right so it's as long as armies look thematic and cool then yeah you you no one would ever like i think sneer at anything there was a guy who i played against whose army was entirely 3d printed um from models that he'd bought from various places and then printed himself and painted really nicely and you know i I have opinions on like going and playing warhammer with non-warhammer models maybe but 
he had crafted a very Warhammer theme for them and put all of these models together to like yeah. make them work together and make sure they were using appropriate rules for what they look like. So, you know, it's easy to dismiss maybe like, oh, 3D printed army, but actually playing against it was great fun. I never really had a single question about what something was. Really enjoyed it. So that was another fantastic game. And yeah, he'd just come up with a theme for his army and gone, that's my theme and this is why we're here yeah. and this is what we're doing. You don't need to be writing like 40 pages of lore and bringing it with you to like prove your worth or anything. Yes. Like knowing what your general's name is, is yeah. more than enough. <laughs> I, I definitely would though. <laughs> oh yeah, you can. You can. Dan Summerbell was one of the players there. Has um, he wrote like, a book about written it? books based around Whitney Warhammer and Realms at War, the other sort of big UK narrative event. People get really into these things. <laughs> yeah. Do it. I can't say much yes. more. Do it. Really um, positive segment. So one quick question as well. Obviously, with us, we've, we've now come out of COVID restrictions in the UK, or in England at least. Um, obviously, this took place before that. How was it in terms of being... Covid safe, I suppose. But how did how, how did you find the experience of going to an event while this has all been going on? Surprisingly fine. Actually. Yeah, it was. So it was. It was a reasonably large room with only twenty five people at most in it. Everyone was wearing masks all the time, except when eating. It, it's definitely more risk than staying at home and sulking in your kitchen would have been. But <laughs> I I don't feel bad or worried about it in the same way as I would in um like like even even just in a restaurant, for example, where everybody takes their masks off and sits pretty close to each other. I I feel much more comfortable with that kind of Warhammer event than uh than other situations. Yeah, I'd, I'd second all of that. I won't lie, wearing a mask during the games in 30 degree heat pretty much yeah. was not a pleasant experience, but, you know, it's God. not anyway. Absolute. It it really, really, as someone who has worked from home this whole time and so has never had to wear a mask for longer than an hour or so, <laughs> God, I got so much respect for the people who do that all day. Holy shit. Yeah, um, it's crazy. it gets in your ears. It gets behind your ears. Yeah, it's 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 wild. A couple of times on the second day, like prompted by opponents saying, "Do you mind if I play without a mask?" I did demask as well. Um, but even in that situation, you know, it's by mutual agreement. You're closer to that person than you are to anyone on either side of you, and still, and you're still separated across a table. Yeah, like a meter and a half to two meters away still. And e like even with that, yeah, it felt like less of a risk than like yes. going to the pub completely legally, which I've done. Yeah. And all Not that this wasn't legal. <laughs> yeah, not that this wasn't legal, but <laughs> yes. I should hasten yes. to add. But you know, you yeah. can go to the pub and then there's alcohol involved, which is not the key to good decision making. And no one bats an eyelid, and I think you're in much closer proximity to people that are taking much less care, and you are in turn taking much less care at a pub for a few pints than anyone was at this event. So, 
Yeah, I am supposed to be going to Titanicus tournament this weekend. And I must admit, the idea of doing another one so close and potentially having to wear a school day again is making me wonder about transferring yeah. my ticket to someone else. But uh, yeah, in principle, it was a bit of an experiment and happy with how it went yeah. from that regard. So, Excellent. Lovely stuff. Of course, a much safer way to run a large event is outside in a garden. Tom G, do you want to tell us about your Apocalypse game? Absolute segue. Now that was a segue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you say safer, but one of it did actually turn out that one of the people who came along um, did have COVID, so you got pinned and had to self isolate for a week afterwards. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) But it was well worth it. Yes. So I yes I have um, run a game of what I refer to as Patio Apocalypse. I I have a house with a garden. I have. a patio, and I thought, oh, that looks large and rectangular. I could put some models on that. Yeah, sort of see, see tables wherever I go. And yes, yeah, so I wanted to, I thought it was quite a good um, follow on from the discussion of Whitney Warhammer, which is obviously running an event. Um, to talk a bit about running an event game. So, because I think we're all used to having um, sort of pick up and play, go around, around your mate's house, bring your army with you. There'll be narrative around that, of course, and particularly if we're playing something like Path to Glory or Crusade. Um, but sometimes you want to run something which is getting, getting more friends together and saying, right, we're going to make a day of this and have a really awesome time. Um, so it was my, my birthday in the middle of June. I said, hey, does anyone want to play Apocalypse? For those who aren't familiar, which... Um, might be a few people. It's been a couple of years since it came out. Apocalypse is a rule set for Warhammer 40,000, which allows you to play massive scale games and is designed to play play much quicker and simpler than basic 40k. Um, it's an entirely different rule set, and I absolutely love it to bits as a rule set. So we had the equivalent of about 5,000 points per side on the table with four players. I was playing some Imperium, so I had some Sisters of Battle and some Blood Angels, allied with um, a friend of mine had some had their their Dark Angels scout army, pretty much all scouts all the time. Ooh, a former meta chaser, perhaps? Absolutely not. Um, they, liked, they like the models. Well, and, scouts are cool. And it's all the old old metal scouts as well. Nice. It was, I, think, I think it's themed around having the 10th company and the 1st company hanging out together. So they also have have um, Terminators in there. And we were playing against um, Slaneshi Chaos and Tyranids, who obviously sort of um, allied because of the shared love of tentacles <laughs> and claws <laughs> and strange accoutrements. And yeah, it was, it was my first time. So I've played, I've played Apocalypse a few times with um, friends just around the, the kitchen table. But this is my first time running a game with... With more than two of us, and all bring it together, and and this is why I was painting scenery recently because it's because uh, just looking at the table and thinking, wow, we have ten thousand points of models on the table plus fully painted terrain. It was quite a satisfying and spectacular sight. Yeah, it's it's great putting just one painted army on the table, right? So to get everyone together yeah. with terrain as well that sounds amazing hmm. 
yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have didn't have quite the selection of terrain I'd have liked to have a bit more variety. But that's for next time because I'm sure there will be a next time. But I mean, I think the thing I wanted to um, just reflect on a bit was what I learned because whenever you're running a game which is more as a more than one that's just straight out of the rule book it's worth thinking about how well it went and how well it worked so so yeah so i've just got a few thoughts so firstly about listening to the needs of your players because i say i it's patio apocalypse i thought well it's a solid surface we can all kneel down (laughs) and stride like gods of war among the among the models and then someone said well we have a table I don't really want to. I don't really want to lean down for hours. This game, I thought, actually, fair point. And so I went to to B and Q, and I found myself some wallpaper pasting tables for like twenty five quid. And also, it turns out B and Q also sell sell these flooring tiles, which are sort of textured with slate, which hook together. And if you get a couple of boxes of those, they hook together and make a really nice gaming surface. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's a hell of a hack. Yeah, ho- hobby tip of the podcast. Um, if you want a cheap gaming table, buy two wallpaper pasting tables and a box of floor tiles in whatever design you want. And it will give you a nice textured surface, which is actually fairly stable. Impressive. Do they like unclip yep. easily as well? Yep. So easily storable and reusable, and that's, yes, that's just a modular board. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, oh they, they fit in boxes of well, each. Each of them is about two foot by one foot. I think each of these tiles, um, you get like twelve to a, twelve to a box or something like that. Oh wow! So yeah, plenty. And so yeah, you can just put them in the box, stack them up. They're all flat as well, of course. Yeah, it works really well as a as a gaming surface. So I was able to make a. I think it was a. It must be a six foot by eight foot table um, on my patio for less than a hundred quid. That's pretty good. That's really solid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you give me, you give me thoughts now. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit of garden, haven't I? Yeah. Don't have yeah. anywhere to put a wallpaper table. Well, that, those also fold up really, really small as well. You know. Mm. Oh yeah, they tend. Tend to like fold the legs down and then fold in half, yep. right? So yeah, you could. Oh, this is this is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but the, the point is, it turns out that um, as you'll have found out yourself at Whitney Warhammer, playing games all day around a table is really tiring. Killer having yeah, stand ups. So I maintain every gaming table should be about a foot and a half higher than they normally are yeah yes quite often they're bits of wood over like regular tables in a town hall or whatever my old friendly local gaming score had sort of sternum high bespoke tables that you could uh like roll a mat out on top of and there's loads of storage underneath best tables i've ever played a game on because yeah. if you want to sit down you can sit at a high chair still but if you want to stand up you can actually lean on it without yes. doing your back of serious injury. Yes. Yeah, my last game was on a table that was um so uh it uh it felt a bit fragile like I occasionally put a little bit of my weight on it and the whole thing swayed worryingly. <laughs> so and also particularly when you're in a loud hall and the person you're talking to is wearing a mask, I spent the whole 3 hours of the game 
leaning forwards at about a 30 degree angle from my waist up and yeah. uh and i'm stuck like that now <laughs> yeah healing the warhammer related injuries <laughs> is a classic what else did you learn well i will say as well that um unfortunately le- leaning on these tables is pr- and particularly on these tiles is possibly a poor plan so <laughs> i did have to warn people off doing that so it's not a perfect solution <laughs> oh no that's a good that's good um deterrent yeah, right yeah. you can lean on this table but your models might go flying yeah we, we did not lose any models it was fine um we almost lost a a die in, into the lawn um but i managed to retrieve it <laughs> but yeah and i think the other things i learned were about um being organized ahead of time which again there's not a lot of difference between running an event game and an actual event because we had to work out what our our teams and armies would be and i'd sort of quite naively said oh yeah just turn up with um a list and i i had had the foresight to say um here are the here are the rules here's how to make an army please make an army and bring that with you so we'd all agreed to bring 200 power level of models by the apocalypse count so we weren't sitting there trying to work out what our armies were but one of the things that apocalypse has is command assets which are these cards you have a deck of cards to use as your for each side and you have to work out which ones you're going to use and we actually spent quite a long time working out in our teams what our command assets were and also just setting the table up i should have set the table up ahead of time and it all took time away from playing the game and my my housemate came down probably about an hour or two afterwards actually just had people start turning up saying oh have you finished deployment yet it's like um we haven't actually started deployment yet (laughs) Uh, which is a sort of the classic the classic warhammer problem i feel yeah definitely we we weren't in a rush to get going maybe we should have been because the other thing about apocalypse is as i said earlier it's designed to make for a very quick well i say very quick game um, a manageably quick game which you can actually complete in a day and it did so, but because we were all quite new to the rules and and just because of the scale of it, it still took us several hours to get to the end of turn two, by which point we'd sort of run out of the time we'd allocated to this and we're doing other things. Um, right. So we sort of called the game after turn two, but we it was close enough that we actually knew quite clearly where the winner and loser was going to, were going to be. Yeah. Turns out that Tyranids are very good at throwing a lot of dice on the table and if you throw enough dice you will kill things there's <laughs> <laughs> a sort of summation of how the game went yeah but the thing was despite the fact that my side got fairly comprehensively slaughtered it was great fun and i think part of that is because of what was um, alluded to by s- someone else on this podcast earlier about not wanting to be alpha striked off the board because yeah. the one thing that apocalypse does fantastically at is is meaning that you can have your big centerpiece models and actually get to use it. Yes. Yeah. Both in the uh both in the damage is calculated at the e- so damage is calculated at the end of the turn in apocalypse or the end of the phase. Yes. Which means both uh so and also you alternate activations. So both your your big cool model is guaranteed at least one turn of doing stuff before it's destroyed. But also killing things becomes a exercise in risk management 
and you don't know how it turns out until the end. It's not like standard 40k or AOS where you can see how many wounds something has got left and you just go, okay, unit A shoots that, unit B shoots that, unit C shoots that, unit D shoots that, now it's at zero wounds and I move on to the other things I want to do. Because So you can put lots and lots of damage on it, but then it then gets to make its saves after that. And you yeah. don't know how well that's going to work. You don't know whether mm. you've got it. You can't guarantee that you kill anything. And at some point, you have to stop focusing on this one model and choose everything else. So you could, um, you can put down things that are cool, but a bit fragile, um, or a bit fragile in the apocalypse context, and expect to get good use out of them. And, and part of the fun fun there as well is that um i mean as i think we're all quite narrative gamers here you can have moments where a unit which really should not have survived survives and completely ruins your opponent's plans on a flank or your plans and it's like oh yes there's this squad of guards who are hiding in this woods where they've got because they actually have a save and somehow they just they just hang on and so, so more resources need to be poured in that direction to deal with them. So it really does well at capturing that, well, creating those moments of of story and memorable standoffs there. So we had the gene stealers rushing forward and the knights having to take them on and think, right, can we wipe out these these stealers and defend this point? Um, and it's really really very cinematic and i think the thing that i really like i mean i'm a ma- as I've, I've said i'm a massive fan of apocalypse and i think that when playing games above the equivalent or of 2000 points equivalent or more it's probably going to be my favorite favorite way of playing 40k now um because just of the amount of thinking i need to do in a standard apoc- standard 40k game is quite high and that's good for some, yeah. small games like crusade um, and there's things that Apocalypse can't do, like giving meaningful characters. It's about um, so characters are a bit less meaningful in Apocalypse. I found, um, but different scales of games want different things. I think. Yeah, definitely. And it was great to yeah great to experience that. Um, and I actually forgot to mention in the hobby roundup t- today uh, earlier about the um, the model I'm now making for the. My, my next apocalypse game of a knight's castellan which Ooh. is being oh yes i yeah. saw the saw the early pictures of that yes i i am converting it to use the pulpit from junior fortrea as a double e double-headed eagle at the front of the where the, the and the pilot sitting on top of the castellan as as their throne That's cool. and various banners and retainers standing on on top with with their shields to, to protect them so hopefully I'll actually finish that by the time I'm next, I'm next on this podcast um, and can tell you all about it. But but sometimes you just think that's a project I really want to finish and actually get to use next time I do this. So yeah, so that's, that's my experiences with Apocalypse. Awesome. It sounds great. Has anyone else done something yeah. like that at all? I, um, I ran an Apocalypse game 2019, I think where myself and some other role modelers, including Pete Vienna from Discord, we met up at Warhammer World and we hosted a game there. At, that was on the Jamaican Bridge, 
uh, table, which, if you're not familiar, is the very large table. I think it's... 12 by 6, is it? Or... Yeah, yeah, something like that. And is a a war-torn uh, defence line with a bridge over a dried-up river. And that was tremendous fun because I got to put my entire Imperial Guard army down on the board, uh, my, my whole tank battalion. Uh, that was fantastic. That was a, a great thing to do as like the culmination of approximately 10 years spent collecting Imperial Guard on and off. <laughs> yeah, it's something you wouldn't normally get to do in a like full-size game, right? Yes. A regular 40k game, rather. Yeah. I very much enjoyed seeing your um, tank company all lined up with your Thunderbolt flying overhead as well. Yeah. Yeah, there is something about a picture of just a bunch of Lehman Rust tanks all push, like pushing forwards, just brilliant. It, it does remind you why you got it. Like Apocalypse, particularly, just like more broadly, I think it, it really captures the feel of 40k in terms of its theme. Yeah. Like you've just got these impossibly vast clashes. I mean, it's still models on a table, but it feels like, you know, this is what 40k in broad strokes is. It's just these titanic. Clashes involving hundreds of thousands of people and yeah. war machines and yeah, brilliant. This is this is in in some ways it's like it's the the end goal dream of the hobby in the same way as like if you have if you have a model of railroad you want it to be all over your whole garden and your whole house or if you if you play a sport you want to play it professionally at the World Cup or whatever. I think a really big game of Apocalypse where you get to put everything down is is one of the equivalents of that for Warhammer. And I'm so glad that it was something I got to do. Yeah, I mean, if, if you'd asked me a few years ago if I'd be in that situation of having, as they are fully painted Apocalypse game, me and none, none of my friends, I don't think any of us would have felt, thought we'd be in that state. But I think we've all sort of found our hobby rejuvenated over the last few years. And it's really nice to see that we've now got to that stage where we didn't even need to try hard to go to build up that army. It's like, okay, this is what we've got. Yeah. And that was really nice. And I, one of the things I really hope actually is that we get a similar concept, not necessarily the same thing, but for Age of Sigmar. Because I feel that with all the big monsters yeah. you have in AOS, a similar Titanic scale system would be. Yeah really appealing yeah absolutely yeah. bring back Warmaster. <laughs> one of the uh one of the big hobby goals i've got is that so in various stages of assembly completion whatever i i do have about ten thousand points of slanesha line chaos for age of sigma because i've got about probably about five thousand points of heed knights of slanesh and five thousand points of steps to darkness that i have done in purple to be slanesh aligned and so on and if AOS 3 has now changed changed how uh, that works, so you can't just take Slaves to Darkness units. It's not as easy to take Slaves to Darkness units in God-aligned armies. But one day I still would love to just have a big 10,000-point game where I can just put all of that chaos on the table at once and just see what it looks like. But yeah, I'd love to do that, especially if they come up with a bespoke system for games of that scale. That'd be great. That would be awesome. And that's another good sort of plus one for narrative gaming whether that is 
at an event or just organized by yourself is that that is a good opportunity to be like well the rules used to work like this so do you mind if i do this do you mind if i you know yeah they worship slanesh they're slanesh demons why wouldn't they hang out like just put them all put them all out on the table yeah, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in working out what the sides are on these armies as well. Because going back to the Whitney Warhammer, you mentioned that you had it, the two broad alliances between two of the grand alliances each. And I'm aware of other um, narrative events which um, have much more mixed up factions. and Or you might choose to align yourself based on what your what, what each side is trying to achieve. So you might individually say, right, here's the narrative narrative goal i'm i want to support there's a lot of different ways of doing it and it can be really fun to find excuses for people to make their armies work and work in a different way to what you'd expect um so fighting alongside people they might not otherwise do or um fighting against people they would otherwise you'd expect to be allied with and just making that part of the story rather than just a um, convenience of the gameplay yeah yeah definitely. yeah definitely so talking about having a lot of models maybe is a good segue into your uh your chat jd yeah so what do you want to talk about this week i'll try and keep it relatively brief but um i'm sort of trying to enter a, a Marie Kondo style mindset when it comes to my hobby stuff and like my my collections uh of the sort of does it spark joy uh and if it doesn't <laughs> get rid um I think so. Yeah, over the years, like since I got back into the hobby, and to be fair, from when I was into the hobby before, I've accumulated quite a lot. Like I know I now do know people through this community who have more than I ever will, but like <laughs> it's it's too much for me, and uh, especially because yeah. a bunch of it is still at my parents' house, and I'm getting a lot of pressure now to sort of clear it out. Right, and yeah. it's there's a bit of me that because that and that pressure's been building up for about two years now since we since we moved into our new house. <laughs> um, for a long time, I was very much like, but it, I want it all. Like I, I painted it, I want to keep it. I don't want to get rid of it. And then, but then there's also that bit of me that's like, well, it's their fucking house. It's fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I think you can't argue that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've, I've been sort of assessing over the last couple of months, like. If I were to get rid of stuff, what would I get rid of? It's quite daft because it's, yeah, it's, I'm going to sound like a maniac, but I've just bought Dominion. Well, I'll say just bought Dominion when it came out, but I want to get rid of my old Stormcast because I've got about 2,000 points of Sacrosanct Chamber Stormcast from when Soul Wars came out and I picked up extra stuff. But yeah, I'm never going to go back to that project. It's about half done. But yeah, realistically, it's just not going to happen. And I've got a new color scheme and new law hook and narrative and stuff for the for the new Thunderstrike Stormcast. So I think I'm just going to get rid of my old stuff and, and, and not be sentimental about it. I might keep a couple of models just to be like, well, this is these are the first things I painted when I got back into the hobby. So yeah. like, you know, I, I want to keep some just to be like, well, this is yeah. how far I've come. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. Oh, I'll yeah. just keep this it. Is it. This yeah. is it. I'm, I'm falling into that trap already and I've not even started. Yeah, um, I find it very I've... very funny that this is your topic. <laughs> given that last episode, I I just had a little breakdown about owning models, <laughs> crying about owning yeah. so many different little Star Wars people. Yeah, it's it is. A, I think it's a really healthy thing to think about every now and then, especially if, like you say, you've got external pressure to 
not take up so much room. Yeah, I mean, to, to clarify, it's it's not that, you know, I'm not getting angry phone calls off my mum every night saying, you need to sort this out. <laughs> but whenever I'm back there visiting and like, you know, when I move out of this place at the end of this week, uh, I'm going to have to stay with my parents for about three weeks until I can move into my new place. And I guarantee that as soon as I arrive, it'll be, right, you really need to go and sort that Warhammer out in that shed. Like, <laughs> it's just every time I visit, it just comes up. But yeah, like my Imperial Guard, like I've had my Imperial Guard since I was about, must be about 13, 14. I started collecting Imperial Guard. And the stupid thing is that if if this new Cadian upgrade kit and everything, if that's indicative of more guard stuff, I probably would start another guard army. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, my current yeah. one is a project that I am never going to get to ever because it's yeah. just stupidly, uh, I had it all painted. It was all done. And then I didn't like my color scheme, so I decided to, to respray it and do it again. And that was a complete mistake because then I've got no motivation to do it. So yeah, I'm just gonna just gonna sell it all, just get rid of it all, and then you know, maybe in a couple of years' time I'll start another guard army. But yeah, I think I just need to have a, a bit of a clear out, yes. just tidy, tidy my soul, tidy my shame a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, off the off the back of last episode. I have been having a big clear out this month and getting rid of a lot of stuff. And let me tell you, it is liberating. <laughs> so don't do anything you'll regret, but also you'll probably regret a lot less than you um, than you yeah. think you might. I remember, Rich, you once sold a load of Admech stuff. And then within a couple of months, it, you, you were then regretting selling it and thinking, oh, I should get more Admech. <laughs> Knife to the heart. I'm, I'm trying to avoid that. I messaged the person on eBay that bought that. Can <laughs> I have my AdMech back, please? <laughs> that is how much I regret that sale. But that, yeah, that is the only thing I regret, really. So. I've sold off a couple of projects now and always kept a few favourite models. So I've got a whole, I've got a lot of, of like individual models from from large projects where actually I only really wanted to keep one or two of them like i've got my farseer that was a conversion i was proud of from my eldar and i've got a unit of customized terminators from my death guard and that kind of thing uh the trouble is that what happened there with the imperial guard was i was at this time i was specifically i was doing my master's degree and i needed a bit more money so i got my my imperial guard out and started going through them going okay what what of this can I sell? What of this? But what what bits of this sparks joy? And um, I went through the whole list and was like, all of this sparks joy. I love it. I uh, loads of the like. I've got models that I converted when I was like fourteen. Here, I want to keep them. Um, yeah. And then I, over the next few years, bought ten Lehman Russes to go with it. <laughs> so there's there's a pitfall in just picking out your favourites. Yeah. But it does sound like that was a sensible decision for you, right? So, like, sitting and going through it and reflecting on it and going, you know, yeah. not, I have had some good times with this farewell yes. old friend, but, oh, oh no, I, I can't get rid of this. Yeah. Like, that is the thought step. It was an active decision, which, leave it in the back of the wardrobe, don't think about it, wouldn't have been. Mm. Yeah, because I, I, I haven't ever been through the full Marie Kondo in my collection yet because I'm lucky enough to have quite a lot of space to carry on storing models. So I'm well aware that my shelf space is starting to run out um, and I might then need to start 
thinking a bit more about that. But one of the things that I think's worth um, reflecting on there, though, is that it's always talking about selling things on, and um, essentially, it's getting rid of models. Isn't that they're going to be going away and not used by anyone? often they'll be able to be sold to someone else who would actually get use out of them. And that's quite a good yeah. thing to pass on. Because the thing that really brought this home to me, as I haven't done a full run-through of my models to do this, but um, a while back I brought all of my um, boxes of old, old models home from um, my parents' house and was going through them thinking, right, are any of these things I'm never going to use and they're really poor quality and not useful? And I thought, oh, well, I've got some old, broken Bretonian knights, the old ones. I, I, had, I kept the ones which were good good condition. Um, those are worth it. But ones with broken lancers, missing shields, missing bits of horses. And I said, and I sort of posted a picture on a Facebook group and said, hey, um, look at this. Why have I kept these? Um, they're no use. I'm going to f- just throw these out. And I got a message from someone that day saying, "Hey, I see you've got some old broken Bretonians there. My daughters are looking for things to paint, and <laughs> they love horses. I don't suppose you could send them to me." Oh. And I was like, "Sure, okay." I posted a picture of what I thought was the most broken and useless model I had, and now I'm putting it in the post to Australia. <laughs> like the end of Toy Story. Yeah, and and I I don't know what became of those. I I know they reached there. The guy messaged me to say yes, thank you so much for sending these. But they would have brought someone else some joy, even if they weren't bringing me joy anymore. And it makes it more difficult because it, sometimes you will find things which you can't give away. But it's always worth thinking. Actually, where sh- where should I say I've got this? Hey, I've got this box of spare bits from. I mean, a, a, a friend of mine on Facebook actually posted a picture of um, a random box of Tyranid bits they found. Just like, oh yeah, I've forgotten that I had these. <laughs> I don't know what their plans for them are, but someone will find use for that. Yeah, I think James put it really well last episode, which was something along the lines of sometimes the amount of hypothetical joy that a collection can bring you is not worth the trade-off for, like, how much it weighs on you now or how much it yeah financially inconveniences you now or spatially inconveniences yes. you or whatever. If I have a bunch of stuff that I don't get value out of, if that is a source of stress to you, then you should absolutely feel that it's appropriate to relieve that stress by selling it, giving it... Yeah chucking it in the river <laughs> don't do that there's enough shit in the rivers <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is that it's you get to a point where like, i feel guilty I, I shouldn't feel guilty about not having got around to a painting project and like as well this is perhaps a, a flaw in me and my personality and what maybe why i struggle with money but like I have a tendency to do this thing where if I spent money on something a long time ago, I don't think of it as money that I've spent anymore. Like, hmm. so, yeah. like so like there's, yeah. so for example, one of my Stormcast models that I'm going to get rid of is a Lord Exorcist and it's just broken. Like the staff is broken in such a way that he's just standing there like on both ends. So he's just sort of standing there holding his fist at a weird angle. And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, like, 
I'm just going to throw it in the bin. Like, uh, fine. Like, yeah. It cost me 25 quid three years ago. Like, it's yeah. fine. Like, uh, you know, I'm not going to get that money back. Like, I, I, it's not worth the hassle of trying to explain, trying to convince somebody to take it. Like, I'm, I think with the rest of it, I'm just going to say, here's everything. Here's the things that are broken. It's a job lot. Like, I'm not splitting stuff out. Take it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what I did with my Eldar. And maybe one of these days, I'll see my old Eldar army played against me at a tournament. And I'll lose and I'll deserve it because it was a fucking horrible <laughs> army. It was it was <laughs> bastard Eldar army back when they were the biggest bastards in the game. If it's any consolation, Tom, they're, they're not good anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> someday. Okay, I'll get I'll get to beat my old bastard army, and um, and that will be symbolic of something. <laughs> and if you're sat out there listening to this with a cream and red Admech army that you bought off eBay. <laughs> With snowy bases. <laughs> Fucking email me. <laughs> Can I have it back, please? How far are we back? <laughs> I, will, I will pay you money. <laughs> so, uh, once again, I forgot to say this at the top of the podcast. We are tinyplasticpeople.com. We are a hobby blog community. Let's call it that. Um, all of us and many other awesome contributors write articles on the things they love about the hobby there's tutorials there's write-ups i am going to coerce tom f into writing a write-up of whitney warhammer with me even if that's just to sign it at the end and say i was here too i've got a lot more notes than i managed to go into on the program i could have i could have talked for an hour (laughs) same but yeah there's there's all sorts there go to check that out tinyplasticpeople.com if you have any questions for us, you can email us at thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com. Or if you own my AdMech army, you can email <laughs> us at thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at tinyplasticpals. Uh, we tend to post up on there when our new articles release. We retreat cool stuff we like. And yeah, you can get in touch with us and chat there individually you could probably get in touch with us as well if you want to take issue or pass comment on something that one of us specifically has said i'll give you a better price for his admec army <laughs> oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right tom g if you want to start a bidding war where can people find you you can find me on instagram as respectable geek Cool. And JD, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Instagram as jd.paint. Cool. And Tom F, how about you? I'm on Twitter at LeSwordfish. That's L-E swordfish, all one word. Or on Instagram as le underscore swordfish. And if you've got my old Eltar army, sorry. And you can find me on Twitter at Rich Nutter, or I think you can find me on Instagram at Rich J Nutter. I started using Instagram again recently. I posted some pictures of models, so I don't know. Follow me and it'll encourage me to keep doing it. <laughs> okay, that's us for this episode of the Tiny Plastic People podcast. So get in touch with us, and until next time, keep hobbying. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. Tom, say bye. Oh, I did.
I did. Oh. Goodbye. Oh, it overlaps. Goodbye. <laughs> Be God with you all. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs>